0: in this text, we're going to look at their testimony, and then what this means for us in Pennsylvania. And if you've never seen architect wall with someone, and we had a basement, and then we had a first floor, and then it's not that big. It's just really, really squished together. Well, my office was on the third floor, and Bonnie was doing things, stay-at-home mom things, on the first floor. And my son was on the second floor. Now, occasionally, when I was up in my office, I would come down to the first floor to grab coffee. I would come down to the second floor to use the restroom, what have you. And it came about one of these days that I was on the third floor with the door closed. I can't hear anything. And I come down to the second floor. And I turn and I walk down the landing. Right in front of me is the bathroom. And in the bathroom, you know what I see? Toilet paper everywhere there's toilet paper all over the floor and the sink in the in the shower and this we're not a family who buys like the really fancy toilet paper we buy the the ones that go on forever and ever and ever which is difficult to pick up so there's probably 17,000 feet of toilet paper all over the place in here and there's only one person on the second floor and it was my son so his room is right next to the bathroom and I look in and I say, son, what happened in the bathroom? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, mama's downstairs, your sister's downstairs, I'm upstairs, and there's toilet paper everywhere. He goes, oh, there is? I said, yeah, come here and look. So he comes out and he looks and he goes, well, look at that. I said, yeah, look at that. How did that happen? I don't know. Well, mama and your sister's downstairs, and you're, and I was upstairs, and you're the only one on this level of the house. You don't know how this happened? He said, no, daddy. And you know what? Someone can, can, can tell you this, too. So he grabbed one of his stuffed animals, his favorite stuffed animal, who's a little puppy named Runner. And he picked Runner up, and he said, in Runner's voice, Eli did not do this at all, Daddy. I said, Runner, I believe that you're lying. No, I'm not. And Eli goes, no, he's not. (laughs) Now, of course, I realized... There was my son who did this. I don't know exactly what happened. We're still not clear on the details, are we? But what was very interesting about that encounter to me, he's four years old, and he understands how important witnesses are, right? He just didn't stand in his own account. He called a witness, runner the puppy, to come to his defense to say, This is what did not happen. Well, today's text is set up very much like a courtroom. You can see it. Jesus calls, as it were, four different witnesses to the stand in front of these unbelieving Jews to show to them exactly who he is. So let's take a look at these four witnesses. The first witness that Jesus calls in this is John the text does not say John the Baptist but it is John the Baptist he was the one out there eating locusts and honey and he was telling about the kingdom verse 33 if you look at your text it says you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth John over and over again told about who Jesus is he preached the gospel of the kingdom in which Jesus is king that was his message Yet they didn't believe John. So Jesus introduces another witness, and it's himself. Sometimes, if you're a defendant, you actually go on the stand to testify on your, on your own behalf. Look at verse 36. It says, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Now, Jesus' witness is not just his words. That's not what he was referring to. He says, don't listen to my words, look at my actions. Look at the very things that I've been doing. First miracle, the wedding at Cana, he turns hundreds, up to hundreds of gallons of water into fine wine. He tells a Samaritan woman her life history. He heals the son of a royal official There's an invalid by the sheep gate. He heals him. Everything that Jesus has done to this point points to the fact that he is is the one who has come. He is the king. And he said, well, you don't believe me. Fine. I'm going to turn to the next witness. And the next witness is the father. Look in verse 37. And the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. There were many people who knew that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist at this point. And what happened at Jesus' baptism? The father called down out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father was testifying that Jesus is his son. He is the coming king. But the problem with the Jews at this point, these unbelieving Jews, they didn't want to believe John the Baptist. They certainly didn't want to believe Jesus. And they weren't believing the Father. So Jesus calls a last witness. This is one of these, uh, this is one of these witnesses that will finally put a nail in the case's coffin. Look at verse 39. He tells the Jews, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And then down in verses 45 and 46, he says, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. In their case against Jesus as the Messiah, what the Jews were holding, to, holding on to was the Old Testament at the time. That's when he's talking about Moses here. They had their old, their old Testament, which at the time was their Bible. They said, well, Jesus, you're not doing exactly what's being said here, even though Jesus was. They were trying to accuse him at every single point. And he said, look, you are putting your hope in this book, and the entirety of this book is to point to me. It's very much like the way that, that scaffolding exists. What's the purpose of scaffolding on a building? It's either to build a building or to renovate it, right? The purpose of scaffolding on a building, scaffolding never exists for itself, does it? I mean, no one's ever seen, to my knowledge, like just scaffolding go up in the middle of the field and everyone go, yeah, that's really great. That's some good scaffolding. No, you put it on the outside of the building. But here's the thing about scaffolding. If it's really intricate, you can't really see the building behind it. I remember visiting the Duomo in Milan, Italy in 2004. And at the time, this Duomo, which was it's a monocolored marble, absolutely stunning. And the scaffolding was so thick on it that I couldn't actually see the church. So it was really disappointing, but I got to go up on top of the church and run around and it was a lot of fun, but the scaffolding was so thick, I couldn't see the renovations that were going on behind it. That's very much what we see the Old Testament doing. The Old Testament is scaffolding and behind it is the person and work of Christ. The scaffolding is going all around. You can't really see clearly What's happening? And the person and work of Christ is being built up from Genesis all the way to Malachi. Who is this Messiah going to be? What is he going to be like? And then Jesus comes and the scaffolding begins to peel off. And you see this great building, the very purpose of the scaffolding. And Jesus is saying, look, guys, you're more interested in the scaffolding than in the building itself. He tells them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is these that testify about me. Now, if they were reading the Old Testament right, if they were reading the Old Testament the way that Jesus read it, they would see that it's pointing to something beyond itself. You get to chapter 3, in the very first book of the Bible, and you see that God has created everything good, and our relationship with God, because of our own disobedience, has been utterly destroyed. So the question for the rest of the Old Testament is, who's gonna right this wrong? And then you have a number of protagonists, right? Adam, is he gonna write it? Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and as much as all of these figures in the Old Testament were very capable and did great things, they were all severely flawed. And it's as if the Jews at this time weren't seeing the fact that the purpose of the Old Testament, of the scriptures, is to point us to the one who will be better than Adam and Noah and Abraham and David. To the one who can actually write what has gone wrong. So the entire testimony of these four witnesses is in Jesus is life. Not in your scriptures, not in Abraham, not in David, not in yourself. The testimony is in Jesus is life. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. And then Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Do you see what's going on here? It's not merely that Jesus wants us to recognize him as the Messiah King. He doesn't want just mere intellectual assent. He wants us to come to him. In your preparation this morning, Isaiah 55, it said this. I mean, we see this theme all throughout the Old and the New Testament. Isaiah 55, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. It's saying, You are trying to find life in all of these things, and you can come to me. Come to me, the one place where it's free, where it's abundant. Jesus himself, in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John Calvin put it in this way, in terms of faith. He says, faith is not a distant view, but a warm embrace of Christ. Jesus doesn't want us to see him as he is. He wants us to come to him as he is, not just mere intellectual assent. He wants us near to come to him. So if that's really what the text is trying to push us toward, that Jesus wants us to come to him, we have to ask, why are some unwilling to come to Jesus that they may find life? Why are some unwilling to come to Jesus so they may find life? Well, the case study in John 5 here is the Jews' mistake is this. They were seeking life in something other than Jesus. They weren't seeking life in a bad thing, by the way. The scriptures are a very good thing. But they were seeking life in their scriptures. So why are some unwilling to come to Jesus that they may find life? The Jews' mistake was that they are trying to find life in something other than Jesus. You're and I mistake, our mistake, is that we try to find life in something other than Jesus. This applies to both the Christian and the non-Christian. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you are trying to find life in everything else but Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you know that life only exists in Jesus. And yet, day to day, week to week, we still try to find life in other things. We recognize that, we confess it, we go to Jesus, and then the next day, what do we do? We try to find life in something else. So, where do we try to find life? In our job, money, vocation, our status? And our degrees, how big our houses, what we drive, how much stuff we have. Where do we try to fund life? Our spouse, our children, our friends. Our families, just wanting a date, wanting a friend, wanting someone who really knows you. Where do we try to find life? With it being Black Friday this past Friday, Where do we try to find life? The new phone, the new TV show, the new TV, the new doohickey, the new book. Maybe our hobbies? Where do we try to find life? Our worries? Our own sense of self-importance? Our sin? Where do we try to find life? Going green? Going organic? Going gluten-free? Going vegan. One of my favorites, going bacon. (laughs) Where do we try to find life? In the bar? In the sports field? In the gym? In our kids' activities? Maybe in the computer? In the men's group, in the women's Bible study, in the church, in the lists upon lists of things that we desperately pursue to give us life, what one thing is conspicuously missing? Jesus. I hope you're not at church this morning because you hope to find life. I hope you're at church this morning because you hope to find Jesus. You know, what our, what our experience tells us and what Scripture tells us is that we can never find life in life. Author Dwight Edwards said this. He says, one can never find life in life. And those who seek to do so will inevitably find themselves disappointed. What is popularly called life among mere mortals is really nothing more than existence. Being born, growing up, gaining an education, finding a job, marrying, raising a family, sex, eating, drinking, playing a sport, enjoying a hobby, etc. These are all wonderful components of our temporary pilgrimage on this planet, but none of them have the capacity to provide life. Happiness, maybe, but not life. Friends, if we try to find life in life, we will be disillusioned. And we'll end up saying the same sort of thing that Tom Brady said after his third Super Bowl win. How many of you know who Tom Brady is? Enough of you. He may go down as one of the, maybe the greatest NFL player of all time. After his third Super Bowl win, he was on the news show 60 Minutes, being interviewed by Steve Croft. And here's how this interview goes briefly. Brady says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, there's got to be more than this. Croft responds, he goes, so what's the answer? And Brady goes, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. There has got to be more than this. The reason why is you can't find life in life. We see that in ourselves. We see that in scripture (laughs) articulated by Tom Brady. Um, what What we see in today's passage is that Jesus himself, only Jesus, is the fountain that can slake the raging thirst for life on any of us. You and I want life. Every ounce of our being craves it. And the only one that can actually satisfy us is Jesus. I want to close with an illustration from C.S. Lewis's uh, book, The Chronicles of Narnia, actually the book within it, The Silver Chair. And if you don't know anything about The Chronicles of Narnia, I'll try to introduce it to you. C.S. Lewis created this world called Narnia, a beautiful, fantastical world. And he said... If Jesus were to come into Narnia in the way that he actually came to earth and live and then be crucified and raised from the dead, what would he be like in Narnia? And the answer is Aslan the lion. Aslan the lion is the Christ character, the main character in the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the passage, I'm going to read for you, Jill As a young girl interacting with Aslan, the Christ character. "'Are you not thirsty?' said the lion. "'I'm dying of thirst,' said Jill. "'Then drink,' said the lion. "'May I? Could I? "'Would you mind going away while I do?' said Jill." Lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at his motionless bulk, she realized that she might have as well asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to 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 do anything to me if I if I do come? said Jill. I make no promise. Said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now. Without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls? She said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, men and women, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, or as if it were really sorry, or even as if it were angry. It just said it. I I dare not come and drink then, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. To which the lion replied, there is no other stream. Brothers and sisters, we were created from one stream. Let's pray. Father, be at work in us through your spirit that in our search for life, we may go to Jesus the King. Only in him is life. In our incessant um, desires, to want to find life? Father, remind us again and again, have the gospel go to our heart and have us turn and come to Jesus that in him we might find life. In his name we pray, amen.